0: Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I sound very. Do I sound perky today? I feel perky um i have been so sick for so long having contracted the dreaded covid the machala this terrible terrible illness and i'm telling you it's been it's been a drag i'm taking everything all of the protocols everybody's protocol from obeya <laughs> Jamaican sorceresses to Dr. Zelensky to Dr. Google, I'm on it. And this morning is the first time after weeks that I feel I might make it to the end of the day. So I am with you. I can't think of anything more wonderful than sharing this early morning time together and um, or late at night Depending on where you are, and so let's have our romper room moment and our happy to be alive and happy to be, be together moment. I'm saying, wow, it's late in the U.S. and Canada where our friends are. Bokeh tovarish Israel, U.K. is listening in this morning. We have Turkey with us, Turkey and Australia is listening. Chile, Italy. Iran is with us this morning again. Welcome, welcome. And good morning to India. It's a little late in the morning there. So very happy that we're together. Uh, Not certain, just certain things tweaked my interest this week, and we're going to share it together. The only thing I miss about the chat room, we used to have a chat room, which we had to get rid of because people were abusing it. I know not anybody listening in. But what I do what I did like about it was sometimes there would be a question or something would tweak my interest and I would kind of go off script and answer. So with that in mind, any questions you have about the show, I know I have a couple of dear friends that actually ask me to send links. So you can write to me, Andrea, at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, and we will talk about um, the kind of things that excite you. When we come back today, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be A link in the chain, a link in a 6,000-year-old chain. Do we have a right to break that link? And even if we are connected, how loosely are we? My name is Andrea Simintov. Stay tuned. I'll see you on the other side. And we're back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. This is such a sophisticated studio, I must tell you. We actually, be very careful. I hope everybody's dressed properly and behaving because we know who's listening in. We know who you are. I know you're out there. Idaho's listening in this morning, Michigan, Minnesota, Chicago. I can't get some of the other places. Houston, Texas is with us. And of course, we have the USSR. Um, it, it's not the USSR anymore. Is it? No, it's Russia is listening in, the Russian Federation. You know, and this show is decidedly not political. We don't do politics per se, unless there is indeed a Torah connection. And I'm saying this in, in response. My friend Austin uh, wrote to me this week, and he's been such a faithful listener for such a long time, including when I, I was speaking regularly on South African radio. And suddenly it dawned on him, he said, you know, Andrea, you never voice a political opinion. I never hear where you're holding politically. Yeah. Yeah. Got that right. So you know anybody who listens long enough, you 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 could figure it out. I mean, friendship is friendship, and we know sometimes we can answer on behalf of our dear friends. We know what they're taught, what they're feeling about. Sometimes we're a little bit surprised, but um, I try not. There's others on this station who really can address political concerns here in Israel with such brilliance, such clarity, such razor, was it razor or laser, sharp um, um, vision that there's no reason for me to hop into a foray when it's a place that, frankly, I hide from. I like my Dalai my four walls of protection. I rarely go out um, because... Because it's nice in here. And we've all been given the opportunity to create our own worlds in a healthy way. We say that, lahavdeel, lahavdeel, when somebody passes from this world into the next, that a world is gone. And as a child, I never really understood that. What do you mean the world is gone? Kids are around. We're still around. A lot going on. But no, that one individual's perception, experiences, The way he or she smells a jasmine bud is different than the way you or I smell that jasmine bud and it is gone forever. You know, stuck in my four walls, I can concentrate and kind of focus in on what's important. I don't have to be distracted by store sales and bad drivers. Okay, having said that, came across a quote this week and I'm prefacing this with a Gansa apology, a big apology. I couldn't find it. I thought I sent this quote to myself. It lit a fire in me. I said, aha, there's my show. And then when I looked in preparation for the show, I couldn't find it. So I've tried to replicate this excitement um, to the best of my faulty memory. So I came across this idea that individuals, well, it was about being a link in the long chain of Jewish heritage. I've been asked frequently, you know, what is it? I grew up in a home that was not not really avowedly secular. We were extremely cultural. Uh, we had Shabbos candles. We had challah. We had a kind of quasi-kashrut, observing of kosher in our house. Uh, <laughs> we did so many people of the 50s and 60s. Our home was kosher, but we ate Chinese and Italian out. And in a diner, we didn't order ham. You know, this was, but there was always that, I don't mock that. When people tell me this, I never mock this because I say, you know, that pintele that little flame of Judaism that burns within the heart, even if it's quite smothered, of every Jew is there to be kindled, even if it's a faint ember. Anyway, the quote I had come across that said that every one of us, whether we choose choose it or not, is a link in the chain to Sinai. And then, of course, the question was asked, how strong is our link? Because we are connected. So I gave it some thought, and um, I was trying to think, what was it that triggered my personal link? I came from this very Jewish home, albeit not Torah observant, and later I sang in the Zamir Chorale in Boston, a Jewish choir, um, occasionally, I would kind of go away for a Shabbos, but it had to be interesting. It had to be Hasidish. It had to be Lubavitch. You know, I went for I went for the real McCoy. You know, no uh, <laughs> no guitar playing at my Torah reading. I worked accidentally. I got jobs in Orthodox summer camps where I would have to kind of behave myself and sign a pledge that I would uh, not bring tray food onto the campus. Where I got to really experience Shabbat, I got to experience a different morality. I got to meet children who as naive as I was, and as young as I was, I was able to say, this is what I want my children to look like. And so I began to kind of build a spiritual file folder of schools and attitudes and eventual partners that I would, um, I would seek. Of course, unfortunately, I have the S in the word partner. So it wasn't one, it was more, but I did end up Okay, anyway, and then of course there was the trip to Israel back in I think 1971, 1972. So somehow or other, there was a, a, a a dynamic, living, breathing, changing, active Judaism that every summer brought every extract extra activity brought into my Jewish soul and it nurtured it. It developed. And I, I learned through these endeavors, um, even keeping kosher or becoming vegetarian in college so that anybody could eat in my apartment, that I understood that somehow without having the language I was a link. And then, of course, people would ask me, I was so identifiably Jewish in the early 1970s in a college that was predominantly not Jewish. And I would be asked, what do Jews believe? What do Jews think? And it was then that I said, gee, I I really sort of should have kind of, I could kind of know. And I began to learn. In late August, early September is when we generally read um, the Torah portion of Nitzavim, and the words are familiar to everybody who has ever read their bible and the words go you stand this day all of you before the lord your god and not with you alone and not with you alone will i make this covenant and this oath but with the one who stands here with us this day before the lord our god and also with the one who is not here with us this day I've always gone crazy over this text. All the people united to receive revelation together. To whom is is all these words referring? The one who is not here with us this day. I live in Israel, not a secret. And from my window, I see many, many mountains. But the Torah is not literally waiting at the top of any of those mountains for me. So how do we find our connection? The sages of our tradition teach that each person who stood at Sinai heard God's voice in a unique and special way. Indeed, the Midrash Tachuma teaches the voice of God at Mount Sinai was understood each with their own ability. The old heard it through their ability to understand. The young understood it through their ability. And even Moses understood Moshe Rabbeinu, the voice at Sinai, with his unique ability. There's so much that is beautiful about this sentiment. That there's no single way to understand the the revelation and whether we're in on our own journey, wherever we are on this journey, we hear something special. We hear the Torah through the lens of our experience or innocence. And we hear Torah in the place we happen to be standing at this time. Whether you're listening in from Italy, Turkey, the UK, Israel, Canada, India, Iran, Torah And by extension, Jewish tradition is very much ours to perceive and hold, to build on, to manipulate, to need. It does not belong to any one person or group. There's a power in our connecting with one another. After all, revelation is not a singular experience. Even more important, this refers not only to a singular, a single moment, but rather to our ongoing experience. The Torah is not received in limited time or just that explosion that morning, standing shoulder to shoulder at Har Sinai. The communal address from Moshe is a reminder that this covenant includes all of us who stood. Sinai is now. We don't stand alone. We stand together. Every morning with our modea ani, the prayer when we get up, we're given this fresh canvas to paint a masterpiece that reflects harmony with our values. We're always standing at that foot of Sinai, side by side. So the question is, what does our connection, my connection, your connection look like? as we form this link in a chain of Jewish heritage, because we are identified as a link in the chain, and it's not ours to break. What are you doing to ensure the safety, physical, spiritual, moral, of those who are connected to you? Certainly a question to ponder. See you on the other side. So join me, Steve Miller, and me, Matt Zucker, for lighting up every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Israel, only on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And we're back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair on Israel News Talk Radio. Dot.com, really my favorite place to my favorite cyber place to be. Um, just kind of in finishing up the the last segment. One of the things I, I just want to bring home is that um, you know we have we have the tools in place. We have these bar and bat mitzvah ceremonies, but bar and bat mitzvah takes place whether or not we have a, semini- uh, a cemetery a ceremony. um, A boy reaching the age of 13 is bar mitzvah. Whether or not he stands up in front of a congregation and reads from the Torah, lanes, says a haftorah, um, gives a speech, cuts a cake. He is a bar mitzvah. Same thing for a young girl at the age of 12. So, The question, again, these are questions I ask myself. Please, I beg anybody listening, if you ever hear a teaspoon of pomposity coming from here where I know you don't listen in, do what I say. God forbid, God forbid, God forbid. I see this as an adventure where we're learning together, growing together. Indeed, I wake up every day, (laughs) I could make a figurative list of all the things I have been wrong about And that is a gift. Life is messy and life is filled with wrong. If we're right all the time, how dull. Okay, so what I'm saying here is that what are we doing to make the Torah ours? Um, What are we doing, each and every one of us, to perpetuate these values and indeed be this link you know there's a lot of talk in the last what is it 10 years 15 years about birthright nice kind of catchy and it is a birthright but if we just leave it as a birthright what have we really done what about making it a birthright and then a live right taking that inheritance and every moment choosing to engage Not only with God, not only with the black ink on the parchment, but with one another. Our past, I came up with these words, I I read this somewhere, it's lovely. It's, It's only a prologue to the story, but we must never stop writing. That even though we might not be physically connected with one another, We're not limited to that single time in our experience. Sorry, I have to move the microphone. I got so excited I knocked it over. Um, Okay, and then again, the second to last verse, as we're getting ready, in Nitzanim, again, we're going to talk about this week's Parsha, Um, but it just jumped out at me this week. The second to last verse makes it clear what God wants us to choose. Quote, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. I have put before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life. Life in this context is is Torah. Our values, our customs, our laws and commandments. Love this stuff. Got a lot of stuff to do with the Shabbos table. Yes? Yes. Okay. Um, getting away from all that super lofty stuff, but to minimally lofty stuff. I brought this back. Actually, I was in America not so long ago. Hold on. Let me just straighten out this patient, uh, this paper. Be patient with my paper. And I have this for a long time sitting on my desk, and I wanted to share it with you because I'm thinking about my own kids. They love when I tell stories. Um, grandma, tell us the story about, and I think to myself, if I tell that story one more time, somebody's going to scream, rip, not just rip their hair. They're going rip, to rip this kerchief off my head. Don't tell it. But they love it, especially children. And then what happens is these stories later on, they'll tell it to their own children. And I am certain, I have no doubt that generations on, that one story of my late father at the age of five falling off of a a doghouse reaching for an apple on a tree will somehow morph into something more grandiose His the blood will be, the blood will be redder. My grandmother will scream louder, Um, (laughs) but it doesn't matter. The fact is that family stories aren't fairy tales, but children still need to hear them from an article in the Washington post. Um, this past April, I was there. It was a very lovely story written by Anna Norberg, who talks about her father always being the storyteller in their family. Growing up, there was that was the canon—the um, time that he told a story about his National Guard unit, um, how she was almost born, you know, in the car on Manhattan's FDR Drive. And I'm thinking about this, and that I'm sharing with you the idea, my friends, that if you have stories and you don't have anyone with whom to share them, write them down. We are the the world. Telling family stories is extremely powerful, but not always in the way we think. You know, it's a way of preserving our family history. But even more importantly, it creates resilience and identity and pride. And it's a framework in which to understand painful experiences and even to celebrate the joyful ones. For those of us who are Torah-centered, what is the Torah? You know, we know it's a blueprint for life, but it's not a history book. It's a way of sharing tales that we can glean from, learn from, celebrate with, or serve as a great warning. You know, storytelling, and especially when we start early, when we read our children books like Are You My Mother, Uh, The Very Hungry Caterpillar, Um, I'll dare to be politically incorrect and talk about The Cat in the Hat. We can talk about morality. Were they right? Were they wrong? And then talk about what happened in our own world. Parents who share stories about their childhood, and this is me, Speaking, I'm off text already because I like hearing your stories and getting your mail. We're giving our children something more about ourselves, humanizing ourselves, hearing stories about when our mothers misbehaved, um, kind of bridging the gap, finding out about our father's forced bravery helping us heal, and facing trauma. I just love the idea of building spiritual muscle through storytelling and sharing with one another. And I'd like to know, send me a note, tell me some of the best stories in your family and whether or not you agree that telling these stories is an important part of the narrative of life. Okay, (sighs) let's see. Um, no, we don't want to talk about this. Yeah. So my husband, Ronnie, um, don't tell him that I'm telling you this, but he is a prophet. Yes. I married a prophet. Wait a second. Is this, wait a minute. I want to tell you. He told me a story. Ah, yeah. Very often, as we have our morning coffee, he bemoans and says, you know, Jerusalem is becoming a city of rich people. It's like just this huge, we say the word, let me teach you a great word in Hebrew. It's um, this great pilug. Pilug is a chasm, sort of this unbridgeable chasm, makes me think of like the Grand Canyon on steroids. And we say in Jerusalem, there's an enormous amount of poverty, but there's also an enormous amount of wealth. The building that is going on here, the inability uh, to drive because of high rises and high rises. And so, and I don't know, when did this article come out? Is today the 15th, the 16th? Must be yesterday in Globes. Okay, the Globes International came out with an article that twenty five hundred wealthy immigrants are moving to Israel this year. Twenty five hundred may not sound a lot to you, but I have to tell you, these are some of the richest people, richest Jews uh, coming from the um, Australia, even in Singapore. They're coming in from, I guess they were businessmen, maybe Uh, the U.S., New Zealand, Canada coming to Israel. What does that mean for our city? I don't know. It's not just uh, they're coming to Renana, they're coming to Nahariya, they're coming to Netanya, not Nahariya. Hardly anyone's going to Nahariya, but some are. And it's a very shocking, shocking development. And the question is, what happens to the middle class? What happens to the struggles? Who's going to do the, the fetching, the catching and fetching for these people? I just thought it was very interesting. It's not necessarily the Israel that I made Aliyah to. Okay, quickly, before we go to our next break, very interesting, I thought. Israel has just now, according to Foreign Minister Lapid, canceled the Poland youth trips. Um, and Lapid cites uh, Polish manipulation. This is not going to be a fun report. I know the biggest criticism I get on tweet on Twitter nastiest things I do is comes out of Poland um, foreign minister yep Lapid said that they the poles are trying to tell the Israeli children he told us at a briefing with journalists uh, just yesterday what to teach we are not allowed to teach them that Poland was in any way complicit with the death of Jews. All of the Polish, we're not we are not allowed to call them Polish death camps. They were German death camps on Polish soil. The Poles want us to say that they too were the ultimate victims and Israel is not going to allow this to happen to manipulate this history. The education ministry announced the cancellation of the youth delegations to Poland in an official letter sent to high school principals. I have to tell you, All of my children, all six of them, did go, indeed, to Poland on that trip. Um, I had a lot of ambivalence about it. I don't think I was brave enough not to send them. What did they come home with? I'm not sure. But I think that the education ministry is doing a good thing. My name is Andrea Simintov. I'll see you on the other side. And we're back. My gosh, this hour is racing. My name is Andrea Simitov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. This is the Devar Torah section. This is the one that fills our spiritual uh, canteen and gets us through the Shabbos and the week ahead. I love love sharing what I am learning. This week's Torah portion in Israel is called Shelach. And we know the famous, we know, I don't know about what happens in uh, the rest of the world. I know it's a big thing with Jewish, (laughs) I'm sorry, we're supposed to be serious during Devar Torah section. Hold on. Uh, Let me just get back into my engineering page. We got it. Um, Where? (laughs) How many Jews listening to the show had a mother who said, or a father who said, you're crying? You're crying? I'll give you something to cry about famous famous last words before the patch the patch on the tuchus okay so throughout jewish history no particular date there has never been a date that has affected our lives as much as tisha of the ninth of Av. and we will be doing several tisha of shows we'll be talking about it um on this date Okay, but but put it in your vocabulary, your spiritual vocabulary, because on this date, the destruction of both temples as well as other disastrous events happened. So the source of this tragic date, however, is found in this week's Torah portion of Shlach. They wept for no reason, but I shall give them a reason to weep for generations. The obvious question is, What did the Jewish people do so wrong that night that their destiny was forever altered by the incident of the Miraglim, the spies? So a close reading of the text. And remember, we read it every year, but don't we know it already? No, we read it differently every year because every year you come to it with different life experiences from the year before. So as I was saying, a very close reading of the text makes this question, in my opinion, even more difficult to understand because here you go, Moshe sends the spies on a mission with a list of questions. They have a checklist. And see the land, what it is, and the people that sweep. That dwell therein, whether they are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it is good or bad, and what cities they are that they dwell in, whether in camps or in strongholds. Okay, clear list. So upon their return, the spies report to Moshe and B'nai Israel the land surely. Uh, flows with milk and honey. Nevertheless, the people that dwell in the land are fierce and their cities are fortified and very great. So it seems that the spies actually are fulfilling their mission and rendering an accurate report. Ramban asks, Did we expect them not to answer Moshe's question and give a false report? You know, truth in advertising. Ramban continues to ask, What was the sin? Could it be that they sinned because they stated in a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof? Or was the sin that they gave such a discouraging report? According to the Rambam, the Ramban, this could not be the case, since we find the following sentence spoken by Moshe later on. Hero Israel, thou art to pass over the Jordan this day, to go in to dispossessed nations greater and mightier than thyself, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom thou knowest and of whom thou hast heard say, those who can stand before the sons of Anak. So this report was certainly as damaging and discouraging as the report of the spies. Aha. The sin of the spies for which we are still being punished today comes down to one word according to the ramban and other commentaries fs today we use the word fs in modern hebrew as zero nothing fs fs literally means nevertheless And by adding this one word to their report, the spies signify something beyond their ability or capability. Their report was true. Implication. They implied that conquest of the land would be impossible. They should have said, they could have said, if only they would have said, let us go up and conquer the land. They were, in fact, Denying and contradicting the word and the promise of God that Eretz Yisrael would be the land of the Jewish people. I just want to step aside a second. I use what I very interesting as I was putting together this Devar Torah, um, and I came across the quote talking about the people, great and tall, the sons of Anakim, who can stand before the sons of Anak. It's a tribe but it literally translates. Anak means huge, massive. The kids say uh, in the speech today, when they want to say, you know, the cool, like, oh, um, it's epic. What They use the word Anak. It's giant, huge. Okay? So when you hear the word Anak, giant, massive. So to go back, by contradicting the word and promise of God. God promised us. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. They witnessed the Exodus from Egypt. They witnessed the mun, the manna. They witnessed the protection of the clouds of glory. Wasn't that enough to convince the Jews that even with negative reports from spies, God is on our side? Where was the faith to realize that no matter what the report of the spies was, they would be able to conquer the land and settle it? According to Sefer, Akedat Yitzchak by Isaac Arama, that lack of emunah of faith, that was the sin. They rejected the land of divine promise It is this rejection of the land which has been our undoing throughout the ages. It is not a historical story. It is a story of this morning. On account of it, we were exiled from our country, divorced from our soil, and became a reproach to our neighbors, a scorning and a derision to those who look upon us. There is absolutely no other way of restoring our integrity than by returning to the land," says the Arama. So the agonizing questions that perhaps, perhaps Jews today should ponder is whether or not they are guilty of this very same sin. The spies went, la tour, to spy on the land, and we go to tour the land of Israel. We also come back and say, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but we can't settle there because of our hostile neighbors. We don't have the faith that we can overcome the economic difficulties of Aliyah. They wanted to return to Egypt to avoid the responsibilities of freedom and the dangers that are involved in securing it, and likewise, we find great comfort in saying in staying in our lovely Galut homes, avoiding the responsibility of securing the land that was promised to us. They witnessed the exodus from Egypt, and we witnessed an ingathering of the exiles from Arab lands, Ethiopia, Russia, and yet they and we lack the faith to settle in the land that has been promised to us. Just a question, but perhaps it's time to rectify our sin by returning now to the land that the spies requested, not in a Globe's report as the 2,500 richest world Jews, but as plain Kilroy's, Plony Almoni, John Doe, Israel should be, not be the place to run as a resort or a last resort, but should be the place that we settle in as soon as possible. Okay. You know, we have a lot of problems here in this country, but what I want to say that despite all the problems we have a way we're given the land we're given his blessing and we have to make every attempt to do our best to industriously cleverly solve our problems it's all here it's said by many that the body has the ability to heal itself at the end of the day we should realize that all of us are sustained by manna from heaven in whatever form we receive it and in every generation. You know, the drawing forth of water from the rock by Moshe. Oh, how we know that story and we've seen the story. Was it a miraculous event? Certainly it was a miraculous event. However, the ability to desalinate water from the sea, A process as attributed to human creativity and invention, realistically viewed, is no less miraculous. This week's Torah portion assigns an overriding lesson. Everything is a miracle. And that miracle is a basic axiom of Judaism and Jewish life. Come home, be part of the miracle. My name is Andrea Simintov. Shabbat Shalom from Jerusalem. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook, Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too advertise with israel news talk radio and get your message out to people we'll build a personalized package for you contact advertising at israelnewstalkradio.com straight talk from israel you're listening to israel news talk radio